This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. Christ came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Did you know that a rich, full life is available to believers even in the direst of circumstances? Well, how can that be? The psalmist David provides answers, and today the Reverend Mark Ray is back to help us explore Psalm 34 in his series on the Songs of Praise. Mark is the Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and also the Executive Director of our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Let's listen now to Mark Ray's message, Do You Desire Life? Albert Einstein once said, There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Which way would you like to live? One as though nothing is a miracle, or one as though everything is a miracle. There are countless books out there that tell you how to live life, how to live life to the fullest. How to, how to enjoy it to the fullest. Thousands and thousands of books. For myself, I'd kind of rather turn to this one. It's the guy who created life. It's the guy who gave it to us. It's his instruction manual. You know, I, being a, a father who, who raised two boys, I can remember Christmas Eve after Christmas Eve after Christmas Eve that I was putting together G.I. Joes or different little toys or things, and I would always start into the instructions and throw those aside and think that I could build this thing by myself. And by three or four in the morning, I was, my head bowed, tail between my legs, going over and getting the instructions, though most of them in, Japan, in Japanese, but I would get those instructions and figure it out in five minutes how to put things together. And how often do we try to struggle through life, try to find life without going to the, to the manual? to the instruction manual. And I want to challenge us this morning to go to the instruction manual because what David's going to talk to us about is life. There's no better guy I can think of to do this. David was the guy who had wealth and power and status and adoration and a kingdom. He had all that stuff. But nowhere in anything that David wrote about do you ever hear that wealth and power and status and adoration brings life. He never says that. And yet he was a guy who was a man after God's own heart. He was a guy who walked in life, fullness and richness of life. But was everything rosy for David? Did everything just happen smooth for David? The answer is correct. Things were not smooth for David. Things didn't happen easily for David, but yet he walked in this fullness of life, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to give you the background to this, because when you turn to Psalm 34, the superscription here, the the instruction in front of this thing says this. This is a psalm of David, a song of praise of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. 
That's what's called the superscription. It's a little bit of instruction on what this psalm is about. So let me give you the background real quick. David is running from Saul. Saul is the king. David is the anointed new king. And Saul is jealous and has chased him into the wilderness. Now, if I'm in David's shoes, I'm probably sitting there thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the one God chose. I'm the anointed one. I should be the one on the throne. But no, David respects and honors the king and patiently waits until God moves to the point that he raises him up. So here's David running from Saul. Saul's out to kill him in his madness. And he comes into this little town called Gath, the little town of Gath. And in Gath, Abimelech Achish is the king. Thus the superscription. This is the situation. This is the story. David walks into Gath. Now, Gath was a town that was fill, filled with Philistines. Who's the most famous Philistine? Goliath. Nine feet, somewhere between nine and 12 feet tall, had a rock between his forehead. David killed him years and years and years ago when he was a young lad. And here's the situation. David walks into the town of Gath with the king who was there knowing that he has killed their hero. And to make matters worse, what's around his waist is a belt that's carrying the sword that David used to cut off Goliath's head, a very well-known sword to the town of Gath. So David stumbles in as he's running from Saul and walks into Gath, and the king and the people begin to recognize him. You're David. You're the one. And he's thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Because these are the people now who begin to chant, Saul slew his thousands, David slew his tens of thousands. No wonder Saul was jealous, right? Even the enemy town knows who David is, the guy who slew his tens of thousands. So David comes in and Achish hears about him being in town and says, bring him before me. Well, this is bad news for David. He could walk out of this thing absolutely beheaded just like Goliath was. This is dangerous territory for David, and he's brought before the king. And David does this amazing little thing. He pretends to be insane. This is the anointed king of Israel. He pretends to be insane. What does he do? He goes up and he starts scratching on the doors. And he starts screaming in a loud voice, and he begins to drool all down his beard and spit up all over himself. And he makes a complete fool of himself, pretending to be insane. And the king looks at him and says, why have you brought me this insane guy? Get him out of my sight. And David leaves. He departs, delivered, saved. So the superscription says this. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech Achish, who drove him away, and he departed. Psalm 34, this David pens this psalm in light of that scenario, in light of a scenario in which David walked into a situation that could have been life or death and walks out unscathed. Listen to verses 11 and 12, and then we're going to dive into this. David says, come you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And here's the, the key crux verse. He says, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who is the man that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who is the man that desires life? And the question of the morning is, do you desire life? 
Do you desire life, that rich, full, abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That rich, full, abundant life that even in the midst of life and death circumstances can be full and rich and abundant. Do you desire that? Boy, that was weak. (laughs) Do you desire life? Yes. Yes. Do you desire the rich, abundant, full life that has been promised to you by the God of the universe? Yeah, that's a little more like it. This is what David tells us. This is how you have it. The man who desires life, he's going to give it to us, and he's going to give it to us in two parts. Verses 1 through 10, he breaks down and he says, we are to bless the Lord. And we're going to walk through three ways that we're to bless the Lord. We've already talked about it. We've already experienced it a little bit. But he's going to talk us through three ways to bless the Lord. First, we praise him. Then we seek him. Then we trust him. And he's going to unfold for us parts and pieces to all of that. First we praise him, then we seek him, then we trust him. And then the second half, verses 11 through 22, he's going to walk us through people that God blesses with that rich, abundant, full life. Those three people are these. Those who respond positively, those who are the righteous, and those who are the redeemed. Real simple. Bless God. Praise him, seek him, trust him. Those God blesses. The ones who respond positively, the righteous and the redeemed. You want to dive into that? Want life? Boy, we're still really weak today. Was the coffee not strong? Fuzzy, what was going on? Yeah, he's going to get more coffee. Who are, do you want life? Okay, we're going to dive into this. I want you to read this with me, starting first... Verses 1 through 3. We're going to put them up on the screen. I want you to read these with me together. I will bless the Lord at all times. Are we there? Okay, we're there. Now, let's, let's read this together like we want life. Like we've had coffee pouring through our veins. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. Don't you just want to stand up and shout right now? Yeah. So here's what David says. First, we are to praise him. The first way to bless the Lord is to praise him. And he gives five ways that David praises him. First, he praises him personally. He says, I will, and I'll praise him with my mouth. And I will praise him with my soul. My entire being, I will personally praise him. That's the first thing he says. Then he says, I will praise him continually at all times. My praise for the Lord is constantly there, even in bad times, even in tough circumstances. Third, he says, I will praise him unselfishly. He says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. So what I'm praising is God. Now, This is in light of what he's just done, feigning madness in front of the king. It was a pretty ingenious way to be able to get out of that situation, right? And he could have taken credit for that and said, man, I was a smart guy. I I faked him out. But no, he boasts in the Lord. That's that unselfish, that's that that humble boasting that he gives to the Lord. Fourth, he says, we praise him corporately. He says, magnify the Lord with me. These are songs that were written to the congregation to be sung out loud for an entire congregation to come together. Exalt the Lord with me and let us exalt his name, how? Together. 
It's good to do this in the body. It's good to do this together. And finally, he says this, I magnify and I exalt his name. Literally, I place his name where it belongs, high and lifted up. William Temple, the old clergyman, says this. He says that worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. It is to feed the mind with the truth of God. It is to purge the imagination with the beauty of God. It is to open up the heart to the love of God. And it is to devote the will to the purpose of God. When we worship, when we praise, when we come together and exalt his name, he shows his holiness to us. He shows his truth to us. He shows his beauty to us. He shows his love to us. And he shows his purpose to us. We love to come together to worship the Lord. To praise him, and that's the first thing that David says. To bless the Lord, the first thing he says to have life is that we praise God. We do it individually. We do it unselfishly. We do it corporately. We do it together, and we exalt and lift up his name. How does he respond? Listen to how God responds. This is great. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Two things that happen when we lift up our praise. The humble shall hear of it. Now, these are the ones who have been humbled by life's experiences, who have been lost, who have been downtrodden, who are the poor, who are the oppressed, that simply by our praise, corporately, individually, together, simply by our praise, guess who hears it? Those who need it. The lost, the oppressed, the ones who are downtrodden, the ones who have been humbled by life's experiences, they hear our praise. And God says what he delivers to them is this, gladness. Isn't that great? That just by praising him, we can touch the lives of other people who need it and touch them with the gladness of God. Kind of puts a new light on our praising him, doesn't it? There are people here this morning that are brokenhearted. There are people here this morning that are downtrodden. And by our praise today, God has brought gladness to their hearts. Don't you feel like you've ministered? Isn't it great? God gives us that. That's his blessing on us. So the first thing David says is we're to praise him. The second thing, read with me together, 4 through 7, verses 4 through 7. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Second thing he says is we are to seek him. And here's what David says, how I seek him. First of all, he says, I seek him in prayer. I sought the Lord and he heard me. Literally, David is saying, I sought the Lord in prayer and he listened. The God of the universe listened to David. Second, he says, they looked to him and were radiant. This is a great statement. I was in my office early this morning and the sun was rising. And I tried a little experiment, and I know many of you have done this. I took a quarter, and I put a quarter up in front of the sun. And with a quarter, I could blot out the sun. The sun, I could literally blot out the sun with a quarter. But there are two reasons why I could blot out the sun with a quarter. First, there was distance between me and the sun, a large distance between me and the sun. And second, my focus was on the quarter and not on the sun. What David says to us is when they looked upon him, their focus was upon him. That's where they were, and they were close to him. 
If I was a whole lot closer to the sun, guess what? That quarter would not nearly be as big and my focus would be on the sun. What he's saying is draw near to him, put your focus and attention on him. And guess what happens? He puts his radiance on you. I had the chance to go to Haiti a number of years ago, and we were in the northern territories of Haiti. If you've ever been there, Haiti, at the time that I went, was the poorest of the poor countries in the world. It was the poorest of the third world countries. And the northern territories in Haiti were the poorest place on the face of the earth. These are people who lived sometimes on a dollar a month. A dollar a month. Imagine living on $12 a year. That's what these people in Haiti were living on. And yet, we actually had one of our missionaries was working with a pastor there who pastored eight different churches. And on Sunday morning, we'd come together, and Sunday morning church would last from, get this, eight in the morning until almost three in the afternoon. That's a worship service, amen? And so what he would do, this pastor, what he would do was they would celebrate anniversaries, births, baptisms, communion, birthdays, you name it, they worshiped together. And when they worshiped, their worship was an hour or two hours or three hours long. And when they worshiped, I'm here to tell you, this first came true. Because these people who were seeking the Lord, he made them radiant. Their faces beamed with joy. You come back from that, and you're just sitting there going, I, I feel ashamed that, my, that that radiance didn't carry with me. And yet in the midst of this, these people just shine for the Lord. He put his radiance upon them. Their faces were not ashamed. They were not, they were not ashamed of their condition in life. And these people who had almost nothing, their faces shone because they sought the Lord. So first he says, I sought him in prayer. Second, he says, I, we focus our attention on him. And third, he says, this poor man cried out. The third thing to seek him is we literally cry out to him. When we have those needs, when we have those those things that are just tearing at us so deeply, what do we do? We cry out to him. We seek him. And he responds. Listen to how he responds. David says, he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. That's an interesting statement. doesn't say that he swooped in and took care of everything and gave me everything I wanted. He says, he delivered me from my fears because what's the one thing that will absolutely keep me frozen? It's my fear. And the first thing that God does when we cry out to him is he delivers us from our own fears. It's a great statement that's made here. Delivers me from my fears. The second thing he does is he makes them radiant and not ashamed. The third thing he does is he says, he hears the poor and he saves them. Those who are downtrodden, those who are hurting, he hears the poor and he saves them. And fourth, this is a great statement, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. Now, there's two different schools of thought on this. The first is this, that God sends angels to encamp around us and to protect us. And there's a lot of other scripture that supports that. But there's a number of scholars that believe any time in the Old Testament that you see the angel of the Lord, it's a literal translation of Christ. So you can either look at the fact that God sends angels here, you can look at the fact that God sends his only son here who encamps around us and protects us. Is God good or what? When we, are, when we seek him, he even sends either his angels or the Son of God himself to stand guard over us and to protect us. Wow. Oh, how he loves us so. So this is what God does when we praise him, when we seek him. And the third thing that David says is this, we trust him. 
Let's read 8 through 10 together. Verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Look at the bookends here. Verse 8 says, the Lord is what? Say that one loud. The Lord is what? The Lord is good. Do you believe that? Okay, let me really ask this clearly. Do you believe the Lord is good? The bottom line to everything that David is saying here is the Lord across the board is good. No matter the situation, God is good. And what he says is to those who trust him, he delivers good things. That's the last part. Verse 10. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What God does for his people is he delivers good. Even in the midst of tough times, God delivers good. So he starts here and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a great expression. It's used Old Testament and New Testament. Taste and see. If you've got a bowl of strawberries in front of you, provided you're not allergic to them, and they're covered with chocolate, provided you're not allergic to that, when you taste it, what do you immediately know? It's good. It's really good. But you don't know how good it is until you do what? Taste it. So what, what David tells us is taste, experience God, and know that he is good. Taste and see who this God is. Literally, go trust him and see him be good. Experience him in his fullness by placing your trust in him and let him show himself to be good. That's what David's telling us. Taste him and see that he is good. Then he says to trust him. This is a really good one. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Literally, blessed is the man who trusts him in his timing. How many of you have had situations in which you go, God, I really wish you'd show up. I wish you'd show up now because that's when I need you. And yet, when you look at it in retrospect, God showed up at the right time, at the right place, exactly to do what he needed to do, and it turned out even better than you could possibly have imagined it. Trusting him is also a patience that's involved in saying, God's going to do this God's way. And by the way, I trust him because he is good. Because he is good all the time. Second, we trust him. Third, it says to fear him, to have this awe and this wonder, this, this fear about God because he is so big and so great that he can step in and do anything that he needs to do. So we have this fear and we have this awe and we have this wonder Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is wise to fear the Lord. And when we taste him and experience it, we see that that trust placed in him has a place and God shows up and does good. Finally, we have this passionate pursuit of him. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And how does God reward that? Well, <laughs> he rewards it this way. First of all, he shows himself good. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, the Lord is good. Bank on it. It's a fact. Count on it. Now, friends, we've been through some tough times in these last two weeks as we've lost a number of loved ones. It's rare that a church loses three people in a week, and we did. But what God does in the midst of that is he shows up and he shows himself good. He shows himself to be good in how he comforts, shows himself to be good in how he takes care of us. 
shows himself good in that we have assurance that those who have gone have now gone to be with him. And shows himself good in that we know if we are in Christ, we will follow. And one day we'll be reunited. He shows himself good. And it changes our perspective on everything. When we see the foundation of God as a foundation that's good. How does he show up? First of all, he shows himself to be good. Second of all, he lays blessing on us. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When we trust in him, blessings abound to us. And third, he says, for those who seek the Lord, they shall not lack any good thing. Now get this for just a minute. God is good, right? And all good things come from God, right? So who's the one that delivers the goods? God. And God delivers good because he is good. So when we trust him, what are we standing in the middle of? A good God who brings good things. How is that bad? It's not. Because this is what God drives us to. This is what God wants for us. When we trust him, a good God delivers good things. So what we get out of this, in this opening section... Verses 1 through 10, David says, The beginning of having life, rich, full, abundant life, is to praise him, seek him, and trust him. Amen? Praise him, seek him, and trust him. Now he turns his attention. In verses 11 through 22, he now says, Now let me show you how God blesses. And he's going to give us a category of three different people that God blesses. You're going to find yourself in one of these categories, I hope. So look for yourself in one of these categories. The first is this. Let's read verses 11 through 14 together. 11 through 14. He says, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, David unfolds this first and he says, this is the one the Lord blesses. It's the one who, is a res- who gives a response that is positive. He is a positive responder to the Lord. So as the Lord sees this, as the Lord lays those situations in front of us, when we respond positively, this is what God does. And responding positively says this, first of all, that I'm teachable. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We're teachable. We don't come to God and say, I know it all. We don't come to God and say, I I got this one covered. We come to God as children and we say, Lord, teach me. Show me your goodness. Teach me in the midst of this. Second, he says, we desire life. We desire life and we desire to see God show up and do good things. I love how Vince Loftus says it. We desire for God to do his God thing, which is always good. What he gives us is, it says the positive response is you're teachable. You desire to see good. You desire to see God who is good at his very heart do good in our midst because we know he will. David Augsburger challenges us to do this. He says, seek to live life with such lucidity, such transparency, that the clarity of our motives becomes a lens which projects the image of Christ upon the screens of others. Look at what God gives us the opportunity to do. He says, when we go out and we trust in the Lord, as we live life in God, what he does is he opens up, he makes us so transparent that Christ is seen through us and shines through us on the lives of other people. Do you know that? 
we literally get the opportunity to show off Christ when we live transparently in front of other people. He says what becomes really clear in our lives is Christ is there. The image of Christ is there. And as Augsburger says, we get the chance to then shine that on the lives of other people. How do we do that? Well, David gives us three very distinct ways that we do this. Very practical ways. First, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. In a world in which lies are commonplace, and deceit is the order of the day, you set yourself apart when you're truthful. When you tell the truth and you're honest, when you say good things about people, when you don't knock them down, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Second, depart from evil and do good. I love the second part of that. Go do good. Walk away from evil, but go do good. The third way that we do this is that we seek peace and pursue it. We pursue shalom for everything to be as it should be. The negative response to this is, number one, we're unteachable. Number two, we desire evil. Number three, we speak deceit. Number four, we do evil. And number five, we seek to divide. Don't those sound horrible? Man, it seems a whole lot better for us to keep our tongue from evil, speak the truth, depart from evil and do good, and seek the peace and pursue it. Why? Because our God is good. And because when we do those things, we get to shine the life of Christ on other people. That's a pretty great, that's a great gig. I'm here to tell you. So first he says to those who respond positively, that's one of the people that get God's blessings. Second, the one who is righteous. We're going to read, this is a long passage. We're going to read 15 through 21. Let's read it together. 15 through 21. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. So here's the second person, and it's the one who is righteous. And he says this about the ones who are righteous. He blesses the ones who, number one, verses 15 and 17, number one, the one who cries out, who cries to the Lord, and we see this constantly. But the reason they cry to the Lord, and I get this, this is a really, really important point. He says the reason they cry out to him is because they have troubles. Now, wait a minute. The righteous have troubles? Count on it. Count on it. The righteous have troubles. He says it. He delivers them out of all their troubles. The righteous ones he delivers out of all their troubles. So that means that the righteous have troubles. You had a trouble? Proof. The righteous have troubles. He also says he, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. The righteous will have broken hearts. We've got several families that have that this week. And they have a contrite spirit. He comes alongside those and he draws near to those who have those troubles, who have those afflictions, who have those broken hearts, who have been humbled because of what life has done to them. And God draws very near to them. I love what John Piper says. He says, the soul would have no rainbow if the eye had no tears. Isn't that great? The soul would have no rainbow if the eye had no tears. God does good things with us in the midst of struggle. Struggle. 
in the midst of trial. God does good things. And here's how he blesses us. The eyes and ears of the Lord are tuned to them. To those who are righteous, who cry out, the eyes and the ears of the Lord are tuned to them, meaning he hears us and he sees us. Wait, the good God hears and sees? Yes, the good God hears and sees us when we cry to him. The second thing he says, the Lord hears and delivers them. Literally, he, he delivers them from their situations by comfort, by being near, by drawing near, by all the things that he's talked about earlier in this, in this psalm. This is what God does for us. The ones who are righteous, he, he rallies around them and he lifts them up. And the third one, and this is the most spectacular one of all, verse 20, he guards all his bones and not one of them is broken. You ever heard that phrase before? Who's that been said of before? Yeah, John 19, Christ on the cross, it's the Passover, it's coming near sundown. The Jewish tradition says you can't have somebody hanging on a cross. Well, here's what happens in crucifixion. When you hang on the cross, you finally get so tired that you slump down. And when you slump, the the rib cavity, the, the chest cavity drops down on top of the diaphragm. And guess what you can't do? You can't breathe. So literally what you do is you suffocate. Now, what happens is when criminals, if they, they hang there, and some guys hang there two, three, four days, but in order to get this over because it was the feast of the Passover and they couldn't have them hanging on the cross, they come through and the first thing they do is they break their legs. Well, the reason they break their legs is they have no strength now to be able to push up to take the, diaphra- to take the rib cage off the diaphragm. So when they, they can't do that anymore, guess what happens? They suffocate, suffocate very, very quickly. So here's what happens, and we see this in that John 19 passage. They come to the criminals on either side of him. They're still up. They're still going. They break both of their legs, and they suffocate. They come to Christ, and he has died immediately that the prophecy might be fulfilled that he would not have a bone broken. So here's what David is saying to us. Out of this passage, he's saying here in his time, he's saying the Lord delivers you. And figuratively, metaphorically, he says, he's going to protect you even down to your bones. But this is a prophetic statement about Christ. And what we can glean from this is this. The ultimate fulfillment of this in Jesus Christ is that the promises to the righteous are fulfilled in the righteous one. Amen? That the promises of God, that he is good, that good things happen, that he is going to strengthen you in the midst of it, that he's there, that he's near, all of that is fulfilled in Christ, the one whose bones have not been broken, the one who fulfills that prophetic word. God, that's a great statement. So Paul says, uh, David says, here's, here's who God blesses. First of all, he blesses the one who have a positive response. Second, he blesses the righteous. And now finally in verse 22, the last one, he blesses the redeemed. Let's read verse 22 together. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Here's what he says about this. He says, the one who redeemed is characterized by this. Number one, he's a servant. And number two, his trust is in the Lord. Number one, he's a servant. Number two, his trust is in the Lord. There was, a, there was an artist that went and visited a friend of his 
came to her door, found her crying hysterically. And he said, what's the problem? And she said, I have this heirloom handkerchief. It's been in my family from generation to generation to generation. It was hand-sewn by my great-great-great-grandmother. And there's an ink blot on it, an indelible ink blot on it. And it's ruined. It's absolutely ruined. And the artist said, would you let me have it for a couple of weeks? She does. She releases it. About three weeks later, this package arrives. She opens it up, and what this artist has done is taken that ink blot and drawn the most incredibly beautiful picture with that ink blot right in the center. This handkerchief now is more beautiful and more valuable than it's ever been. What God does with us in the ink blots in our life is He uses those as opportunities to paint incredible pictures. Make things beautiful in our lives out of these ink blots that we think have ruined our lives. And God does this for those who are the redeemed, who are the righteous, who respond positively and who see God as a good God. So they're his servants and they trust him. And how does he bless them? First, he redeems them. Across the board, God redeems them. Second of all, they're not condemned. He doesn't lose a single one of them, and condemnation is not upon them. Paul says you want to have life. You desire life even in the midst of really difficult circumstances. First, we learn to bless him, and we do that by praising him and seeking him and trusting him. And then he says the goodness and the blessing of God pours out on those who respond positively because they got the right perspective that God is a good God. Second, on those who are righteous, those who walk in righteousness. And third, on those who are redeemed because of what Christ did for us. This is what David says. Praise him, seek him, trust him. There was an old man in a small town. This man's name was Doc Gibbs. Doc Gibbs was the doctor in town, and he had two passions in life. The first was he was passionate about being a good doctor. The second, he was passionate about trees. Trees. Yeah, trees. He had 10 acres in this small town. He loved to let the kids play all over his 10 acres, but one of his life's pursuits was to turn his 10 acres into an incredible forest. So early in his career, he started planting trees. Everywhere he could, he planted trees. Now, Doc Gibbs had this different view of tree husbandry. He, would ha- he came from the school of no pain, no gain, which means he rarely watered his trees. Rarely did he water his trees. He said, I don't want wimpy trees, so I'm not going to water them. I'm going to force them to put their roots down deep and find the water. He wanted granite trees. He wanted trees that wake up every morning, beat their chest, and drink their coffee black. He wanted strong trees, not wimpy trees, so he rarely watered them. He would wake up in the morning, and he would, instead of going out and watering his trees, he'd take a rolled-up newspaper and whack them a few times. Friends would say, what are you doing? He said, I'm just getting their attention. I'm just waking them up. Well, Doc Gibbs went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, and what he left behind was an unbelievable forest of strong trees that stood the test of time. They stood the winds of winter. They stood the adversity. They stood the struggle. They stood the deprivation, and they sunk their roots down deep. 
to find the nourishment, to find the water, to find the nutrients that they needed to grow strong. What David tells us is, expect trouble, because it's coming. There's going to be struggles, but God is good. And when we sink our roots deeply into the eternal one, deeply into him, by praising him, seeking him, trusting him, when we see him as good and our perspective changes and we sink those roots deeply into him, then there's life. And there is life abundant. You desire life? Praise him. Seek him. Trust him. He's a good God. Amen. You've been listening to Mark Ray. The keys to abundant life are beautifully outlined in Psalm 34. Who knew? I hope you've been motivated, as I have, to search the Psalms more closely, to find those nuggets of wisdom like Mark has shared with us today. Do you have friends or family who would be encouraged by this series on songs of praise? We encourage you to share our podcast. In addition, if you have been looking for a fresh material for personal or small group studies, we're making available to you a free study guide of the series. Download your free copy today at gsot.edu forward slash songs. That's gsot.edu forward slash songs. So glad you've tuned in today. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.